to the People's War Radio Show. I'm Dr. Matsumela Odom. And I'm Awambi Tongu. Uhuru means freedom in Swahili, and freedom is on our minds 24-7. In 1960, almost 20 countries in Africa gained what some have characterized as independence from colonialism. We know that is not the case. The African nation still does not own, control, or benefit from the vast natural and human resources of the continent. White power colonialism created the borders that divide the African nation into over 50 separate countries, and white capitalist states and corporate interests today continue to exploit Africa and decimate its population. One of these countries was the Congo. This nominal independence came to the Congo on June 30, 1960. Patrice Lumumba was elected the first prime minister of the Congo. Within months, Lumumba was forced out of office. On January 17, 1961, Lumumba was assassinated under the leadership of the United States and other imperial powers. June 17, 2021 marks the 60th anniversary of Lumumba's assassination. The assassination of Patrice Lumumba reverberated throughout the African world. In the United States, Africans rushed to the floor of the United Nations in protest. In Cairo, protesters surrounded the United States Embassy and set an embassy car ablaze. In Belgrade, the Belgian embassy was attacked. In London, people took to the streets and marched in protests from Trafalgar Square to the Belgian embassy. Argued by some to be the most significant political assassination of the 20th century, the murder of Patrice Lumumba was a critical lesson in the rise of neocolonialism. To discuss the importance of Patrice Lumumba and the significance of his assassination is Secretary General Luwezi Kinshasa. Luwezi Kinshasa is the Secretary General of the African Socialist International. Since the 1980s, S.G. Luwezi has organized African people extensively throughout Europe and Africa, where he has built the African working class-led movement for African liberation. Eshi Luwezi was born and raised in the Congo and speaks seven languages. He is now based in London and works as an educator and organizer in African communities throughout the world and the continent of Africa. 
S.G. Lawazi has come to be known as Mualimu, a title meaning teacher in Swahili. He writes a monthly column in the Burning Spear newspaper titled Kinshasa International. He also does regular live stream broadcasts to the African nation on Facebook, in English, and in French. Welcome to the show, Secretary General Lawazi. Uhuru. Uhuru Eshi Lawazi. As noted, January 17th marks the 60th anniversary of the assassination of Patrice Lumumba, the first leader of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Though many people focus on the quote-unquote scramble for Africa, in the late 19th century, the colonial presence of Europeans in what is called the Congo is almost 600 years old. You were born in the Congo. Can you explain to our listeners the centrality of the history of the Congo to colonial capitalism? There is no place anywhere on the planet where you have uh, African people just uh, living by themselves, just not being connected to anyone. We are all connected. And uh, the location of Congo basically even makes star points uh, uh, more important. Uh, first, just the geography. If you look at the map, you see Congo is in the, is in the middle uh, of Africa. And you see equatorial uh, forest because we know our life began in Africa around the uh, equator. That's how uh, you know humanity came uh, into being. If you just understand the role uh, the uh, the sun plays in that process, and uh, if you look at uh, the uh, uh, the people who live uh, uh, in the Congo, so you have uh, if you go up north, you know you got connection with uh, the neighboring countries. Automatically, you have the people from uh, like Sudan, South Africa Republic, uh, Cameroon, uh, Chad. Uh, and if you go east, you have uh, Uganda, Kenya, Burundi, Rwanda, Tanzania. If you come south, uh, you have Angola, you have uh, Zimbabwe. So basically, when you talk about Africans in the Congo, you're talking about connection with people. If you're in the south of Congo, it means with people in the south. Because, you know, geographically, naturally, you go these rivers flowing from Angola coming through Congo. You go rivers flowing from uh, Zambia to Congo or vice versa. And the same, the north and the east. So you basically, Congo is connected to most of our Africans, uh, if not all of them. Most of African people, just in Africa by itself, you will see connection between Senegal and Congo just by the names of people in Senegal. You will find the same names in Senegal, the same names in the Congo. Uh, you go to South Africa, you see the same. So there is that connection. And also you have Africans outside Africa because of the colonial enslavement of Africans. The, uh, in memory of Africans outside, there is this name of Congo uh, because, you know, there used to be a region and also a kingdom that, that used to carry that name of Congo, which basically uh, in the southern part of today Congo, you say in our south uh, west, basically, uh, of Congo. So there's that connection. You go to Angola, you go to Cuba, even the U.S., you know, you will see there is a memory of coming from Africa, of coming from Congo, or the region of Congo. So there is definitely uh, that connection. And, uh, of course, the struggle of the 60s in producing uh, someone like Patricia Mumba also galvanized a lot of people around the world, around this uh, Congo, and also the whole question of resources. Uh, most of the Africans have come uh, to understand, or at least to, to realize that uh, 
every natural resource you need to build a modern economy is in Africa, and they are concentrated uh, in the Congo. I'm not sure why. Is it because the equator goes through that? You know, you're almost talking of the middle of Africa, the middle of uh, of the planet. I don't know if he has to do anything with that or any other reason, but we know all those resources are there. You name the resources, you will find in the Congo, and usually you find that in abundance too. So it makes that really, really significant in the struggle for liberation for the African nation that we do build as a strategic reason we need to build uh, the African liberation front of Congo. You've touched on the central location of the Congo in the middle of the African continent and the tremendous natural resources that are found there. We know that early European plunder of the Congo included the slaughter of over 15 million people in the process of stealing rubber and ivory. Today, the Congo is exploited for its vast oil and mineral resources. The Congo is the source of 80% of the world's coltan, the essential mineral for the operation of electronics, smartphones, and laptops, which is mined by hand by African people many of them children. This is the situation for African people throughout the continent. In 1974, trumpeter Hugh Masekela from South Africa released the song called Stimula, or Coltrane, describing the exploitation and brutality suffered by African people who are forced to labor to build the wealth of white colonial capitalism. Here's a bit of Hugh Masekela's Stimula. There's a train that comes from Namibia and Malawi. There's a train that comes from Zambia and Zimbabwe. There's a train that comes from Angola and Mozambique. From Lesotho, from Botswana, from Swaziland. From all the hinterlands of Southern and Central Africa. This train carries young and old African men who are conscripted to come and work on contract in the gold and mineral mines of Johannesburg and its surrounding metropoli. 16 hours or more a day for almost no pay. Deep, deep, deep down in the belly of the earth when they are digging and drilling for that shiny, mighty, evasive stone or when they dish that mishmash mush food into their iron plates with the iron shovel or when they sit in their stinky funky filthy flea-ridden barracks and hostels they think about the loved ones they may never see again because they might already have been forcibly removed from where they last left them or wantonly murdered in the dead of night by roving and marauding gangs of no particular origin we are told They think about their lands and their herds that were taken away from them with the gun and the bomb and the tear gas and the gatling and the cannon. And when they hear that choo-choo train, a chucking and a pumping and a smoking and a pushing and a pumping, crying and a steaming and a chicken and a They always curse and they curse the coal train. The coal train that brought them to Johannesburg.
SG Lewizi, can you tell us who Patrice Lumumba was? Patrice Lumumba was a serious African who basically was trying just to solve the problems that we all confronted to be. When I say the problems we are confronted with, I mean the colonial question, the colonial oppression for African people. He uh, first experienced colonialism as uh, a way out because uh, you knew, you know, when you have uh, access to education under colonialism, uh, you become one of the few. As you become one of the few, you may think because of your talent, it's because of your own significance that uh, you were there. You know, so, and when he was uh, thinking like that, he agreed that uh, what we needed was integration. So he started like that. So it's not unusual to meet Africans anyway, France, England, US, Canada, Brazil, Africa, to think like that. What you need to do is to integrate, you know, and make, make our prices understand us better. And, you know, the usual explanation, you know, be in the system and then you can change it from within, things like that. So he was thinking like that. But there's a saying, the masses are the uh, makers of, uh, of history. So Lumumba, at one point, particularly uh, in the mid-50s, uh, as you know, the wind of change was blowing in Africa. It was blowing in Asia. It was blowing in the Caribbean. It was blowing everywhere. You had struggles everywhere. And Lumumba, as a part of uh, young people during that time, was also impacted by that, the struggles of poor people trying to end colonialism, trying to end white power. So, you, you know, he became influenced by that. So he, he was an organizer. He was a part of many organizations, from trade unions to cultural organizations. He was everywhere. Everywhere there was an organization, Lumba was there. So at one point, the demand for independence was launched. So the African people was raising began demanding for independence, particularly in 1956. There was something called like the uh, African Manifesto, African Consciousness Manifesto. It was launched, but it wasn't launched by Lumumba. It was launched by other uh, sectors of the African PD bourgeoisie. And uh, this also impacted on Lumumba. So he created his own organization, uh, the MNC, uh, the National uh, Congolese uh, Movement. And uh, we can say by 98 October, basically, Lumumba also was uh, making that demand of uh, independence. And uh, in December, something big happened uh, in Ghana. You know, and uh, there was that conference called by Kwame Nkrumah, uh, the first and only legitimate uh, president of Ghana called for all African people's conference. And uh, he wanted to provide direction to all the organizations involved in anti-colonial struggles and uh, also get uh, all the Africans uh, to meet, which was not happening anyway. And uh, he did that in December. And uh, Lumumba was able to attend that conference, which has a tremendous impact, tremendous impact also on Patricia Lumumba. That was the 1958 All African People's Conference led by Kwame Nkrumah and held in Accra, Ghana, with the objective of uniting the African continent. Patrice Lumumba was assassinated less than a year after he took leadership of the Congo. How did this happen? Who orchestrated it and why? Uh, you know, as I was saying uh, earlier, from the trip uh, he, uh, he made to, to Ghana, when he came back to, to Congo, he's a uh, perception of the struggle of independence 
developed. He was able to meet all the other leaders. He was able to see the dying colonialism. He was able to see that a direct white power was dying there in Isigal, and the Congo was as part of a bigger movement. The art possibilities were immense. So when he came to Congo, he made a, a report to the people, big reports. And that was the first meeting attended by a thousand, thousand, over 10,000 workers who attended it. And that was just unbelievable. I'm not sure if he was expecting that kind of turnout, but that was tremendous. When I say 10,000 people at least turned up uh, to hear the report uh, from Lumumba on his trip to Ghana, that was a history in the making. And when you consider that uh, his power base was not in the capital of Kinshasa, his power base was in the east and in the central region and elsewhere, but not in the capital. It was just, you know, he's a newcomer in the capital. It's that building. And to have a 10,000 coming to your meeting, that was powerful. So from there, the power of Palisu Mumba start growing faster, really fast. In January the 4th, there was a, an uprising. So that's almost a week after Lumumba's presentation, after Lumumba's report on his trip to Ghana. There was an uprising that shook Belgian colonialism, that changed Congo forever. Congo has not been the same since the 4th of January rebellion that lasted for days, three to four days. We still don't know how many people were killed. The Belgians recognized 200 people were killed. Other people saved 10 times more at least. They used all weaponry you can think of, grenades, um, you know, guns, uh, rifles, machine guns, you name it. And that was the African working class entering the political arena. Up to that moment, everything was done by the African people. Bourgeoisie. They organized, they say when to march, uh, to demonstrate, when to meet, where to meet, all that. The working class never, you know, done anything by themselves uh, in the capital of uh, significance. But on that moment, from the 4th of January up to the 7th or 8th of January, they shook Russian colonialism. They attacked the colonizers. They attacked the colonizers. The 4th of January was a call to do that. And uh, the Belgian ruling class saw that. And they decided they have to act. They don't want the movement of Mao Mao to develop in the Congo. They don't want to see a new FLN, like in Algeria, in the Congo. They don't want to see, like, uh, a Vietnamese, anti-colonial Vietnamese movement develop in the Congo. They don't want, they don't want it. They don't want a Cuba uh, revolution to happen there. They don't want that. So they have to act quickly. The only way to act quickly is to concede for new colonial independence to the demands coming from the African bourgeoisie. So I just want to say that before I, I go to the question why Lumba was killed. So you can see the African bourgeoisie wants independence. Lumba wants independence. The African working class wants independence. But what is the content of independence? What's the content? What's the meaning? Of this independence. And uh, Lumumba came to realize quickly yes, he agreed with the independence. Everyone remembered the speech he made on the 30th of June, on the day of independence, an anti colonial speech he made. People believe that the speech he made on that day marked him down for assassination, but they didn't kill him because he made that kind of speech. 
they killed him because the Mumbas understanding of independence was clear. Independence was not a reform of colonialism for the benefit of colonizers and the African people bourgeoisie. He said no to that. This what we have today all over Africa, a reform of colonialism, basically a continuity of colonialism in other forms, in a new form, in a new face, on the, you know, of the face of the slave. That's what basically we have today, you know. And the African bourgeoisie can uh, live in a luxury and uh, have a prestige uh, life, uh, you know, things like that. Uh, the woman rejects that. The woman is defining clearly that independence must benefit the people. By that, it means the working class, the peasants. He said all ministers, the government, must live with the people, must work with the people, must work with the peasants, must make corporate cooperative with the peasants, the people. Can you imagine any element of African bourgeoisie anywhere living in the rural areas with the poor peasants where there is no electricity and no running water, things like that? No. They don't do that. They don't want that. They want to live in a city, you know, where everything is. So Lumumba definitely refusal to save white power. And also more than that, refusal, refusal to be at the service of the African Pity bourgeoisie. Seal this fate. So you have a white power who definitely don't want him because he's an anti-colonial leader who wants to build an anti-colonial government, who wants to implement an anti-colonial uh, program, what we call today the Revolutionary National Democratic Program. He wants to implement that. And the African petit bourgeoisie who does not want to have anything to do with anti-colonialism. When the power, they want to maintain colonialism. Only thing they want is to have the bank accounts you know, uh, b- get bigger, you know, just to look after themselves and maintain colonialism as it was before. And they recognize also that Lumumba cannot be prime minister because it means they will not enjoy colonialism, the benefit of colonialism, as the bourgeoisie. They recognize that. So Lumumba is clear. After the people is clear, they don't represent the same interests. But the question was, how do you fight the African bourgeoisie? We didn't have that. Experience. We didn't have the uh, the necessary party. We didn't have uh, uh, the masses of people organized for that. That's one thing. The other thing is, Lumumba came to power as a Pan-Africanist. So when you come to power as a Pan-Africanist, it means you mobilize the masses, not for the workers and peasants to go to power, but you mobilize the masses for the African bourgeoisie to go to power. You don't mobilize the masses and the work of workers and peasants, so you can destroy colonialism and uh, its uh, state apparatus, but you mobilize the people so you can go to power as the African bourgeoisie. Because Pan Africanism does not call for the destruction, does not organize the masses for a class struggle against the African bourgeoisie and the white bourgeoisie by destroying their colonial apparatus state and replacing it with a new one. Didn't do that. And uh, they mobilized the masses of people in the name of pacifism. You know, they were pacifists. You know, that's all Pan-Africanist was, as propagated by Kwame Nkrumah, Padmo, and uh, Dubois from the 1945 uh, Manchester uh, Pan-Africanist Conference uh, in England. 
So we just want to be clear, he was a victim of uh, limitation, uh, class limitation of Pan-Africanism, which is not a philosophy. Uh, it would be a conception. Uh, he couldn't arm uh, the, the African working class to fight for their own interests, and he, in a, and uh, he made some limitation uh, on, perspe- on the perspective of uh, Patricia Mumba. That's uh, definitely one thing. And the African Philippe bourgeoisie was clear. The Mumba now was no longer a representative of the African Philippe bourgeoisie, clearly of the African working class and poor peasants. And the bourgeoisie recognized uh, you know, already that they could not make bis- do business with Patricia Mumba on a colonial basis. They couldn't do that. It couldn't happen. So they killed Patricia Mumba because he was a threat to colonial white power. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guest today is Louise Kinshasa, Secretary General of the African Socialist International. If Congo's not a colony of the U.S., why did they intervene? Yeah, they intervened because the U.S. is a colonial power. And uh, not only is it colonial power, and as you know, uh, the chairman of my uh, says that the United States emerged as a leader of uh, the Western, you know, of the uh, uh, white uh, power uh, in the world. And uh, also emerged uh, as a leader of the white power in the contest uh, with the Soviet Union, you know, at that time. But uh, the problem also was that uh, the capacity of the United States have grown because now they are the leader of the white world, which means they have access to other colonies. They have access to British colonies. They have access to French colonies. They have access to Belgian colonies. They have access to, you know, Japanese uh, colonies. They have access to everywhere. Uh, that's what it meant to be the leader of the colonial uh, world, that uh, other colonizing nations have to open up the colonies uh, to the U.S. And sometimes the United States even backed, you know, verbally or diplomatically agreed that some of those African countries have to be independent because first, if the leadership was just a pro-colonialism, someone would just wanted to move colonialism, direct white power to white power uh, with black face. The United States supported that because they know there will be going to those colonies to expand the capacity of the United States uh, 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 capitalism. But also, the United States became also uh, the protector of the international capitalist uh, system. Uh, so basically, anywhere there was a contest, the United States have to make sure that a contest has to be resolved in favor of parasitic capitalism. You know, so be French colony or be any other colonies, uh, that was uh, that was the role the United States was playing. So it became clear that in the Congo, the Belgian ruling class could no longer contain uh, the colonized. Uh, basically, the Belgian ruling class could no longer contain the anti-colonial struggle that was growing fast under the leadership of the movement. The Belgians could not face the movement anymore, politically or ideologically. They couldn't. And the masses were mobilized, and Lumumba was becoming now the indisputable leader in the country. You know, his growth, you know, was not completed, but he was growing faster because, in fact, he was the only leader to have a national organization. Everything else in the Congo 
was cultural group, tribal group, regional group. You know, you will see a leader in Katanga, but he, was, he has no representation in the central or east or south. Outside their own region, they were not represented. That's how it was. Lumumba was the only one to be represented almost everywhere. And that was a magnificent achievement. So you build a national movement. If today you talk about the sense of consciousness in the Congo, national consciousness, Lumumba greatly contributed to that. So the United States wanted to put an end to that. And uh, you also have to see the circumstances. The United States were involved in, in the United States against the, uh, the growing African liberation movement there. It's still known as the civil rights movement, not the Black Power movement yet, but it's growing. You have the revolution just in Cuba. And uh, you have the French uh, being defeated in Nigeria. The independence of Nigeria has not yet been declared, but this is a factor too. You have uh, the Vietnamese anti-colonial movement led by the, the Communist Party of Vietnam and the leadership of Ho Chi Minh. So the United States, they saw Congo becoming possibly the new Vietnam. Malcolm X talked about it. The uh, white power leaders are right about it. They talk about it, that they should not allow a new kind of Viet Cong uh, movement in the Congo. And they saw the Mumba as a possibility of, of doing that. So the United States, as a leader of the white power, mobilized to assault, to attack any anti-colonial movement in the world that definitely identified and uh, what the movement was represented in the Congo. So they wanted to deal with that. They wanted to destroy that anti-colonial movement right there in the Congo. That's basically uh, what the U.S. did. That's what they involved. So that's what they intervened, to stop the black freedom movement and a, with a greater possibility to unite Africa with a great possibility to have an impact around the planet where black people can be mobilized everywhere to fight for black freedom, you know, uh, once for all. That was an existential threat for white power, you know, so they recognize that. What is the economic and political situation of the Congo 60 years after the overthrow of the anti-colonial government of Lumumba and his assassination? What you see in the Congo today is 60 years of neocolonial backwardness in the sense that uh, the exploitation has gone deeper in the sense that uh, today the United States, uh, after supporting Mobutu, Joseph Mobutu as a president for 32 years, they decided that Mobutu was no longer needed because the Cold War, as they say, is over. Now, only thing they are interested is loot, loot Africa, loot Congo. So they want a deep exploitation that was allowed under Mobutu. So Mobutu has to go, bring in a new leadership that will uh, go along with that. And uh, that leadership was found in terms of Museveni in Uganda, next door to Congo, and Polka Gami in Rwanda. And uh, so they create uh, a movement to overthrow Mobutu and to impose a government that's more malleable, the, the one who will definitely allow even uh, more extraction of wealth uh, from Congo. So after a few difficulties from Laurent Desiree the first guy they put in there, but he didn't go along, he didn't go according to plans. Laurent Desiree did not at uh, one point want to do what it was asked of for him to do. So they killed him and brought somebody they called their son, Joseph Kabila. And uh, they imposed the war in the Congo, and that war uh, was also economic war in the sense that 
not only is a place to sell guns and uh, you know weapons and stuff like that, but is an economy of war where the workers produce under war conditions. So basically, they have guns on their head, where everything they produce is stolen from them at gunpoint, and the saints are abroad. And uh, I'm talking here essentially of key minerals like uh, cotton needed for all electronic components. Any electronic gadget you can think of, not just laptop and iPhones. No, I'm talking of uh, Xboxes, rockets, you name it. Anything with uh, electronic high tech, you know, high technology, you will see cotton there. It's there. It controls the heat, so you prevent all your devices from exploding. It resists uh, uh, heat very well, over 2,000 degrees Celsius. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what temperature exactly, but over 2,000 degrees Celsius. Uh, you know, it, you know, it can't melt uh, before that. So not only you have that, you have other minerals, gold and diamond, and gold in particular. So now gold living in Congo, going to Asia, Dubai, India, and all those places, and of course Europe. And you've got tin, uh, you've got diamond. So the conditions of people is extremely bad. When the Belgians were in the Congo under direct colonial rule, the population was around 14 million people. Now, we don't even know what the population is. We just know it's over 80 million people. You know, so it's a big gap. But there has not been any industrial development to provide for this growth. There has not been a public housing construction. There has not been school building, massive program building schools. Uh, there have not been massive hospital constructions, things like that. So it's just opposite direction when it comes to demography and what society can provide. So poverty is immense. In most of the places, over 60% of the children don't go to schools anymore. When in reality, in the, right in the 60s, before even the 60s, but in the, that's after independence, I know that in before a few years, uh, if you didn't go to school, everyone knew the state will come to your house, you know. But now, 70% in some regions, including Kinshasa itself, education has been almost totally privatized under Mobutu. If you don't pay for primary education, your children will, will not go to school. Not only you have to pay, but most of the schools, uh, the teachers don't get their salaries on time. And salaries so insignificant that parents have to pay. But when you know over... 70% of workforce is unemployed. And uh, you can't go to the hospital and get treated if you don't have money. Money first. And not only money first, the hospitals are just horrible places to be. If you get treated, you don't have money. They will keep you there until your family pay for your medical treatment. And so you've got security in the hospital, not to protect the hospital, but to keep patients in the hospital from running away from hospitals. And then you have the insecurity, the killing. Uh, that's taking place in the Congo in the last 20 years, over 10 million people. We're talking about workers and peasants, ordinary people, over 10 million people killed in the process of extracting by force all these minerals, cotton in particular. And uh, these are crimes, uh, not all of them, but some have been defined, described in uh, reports coming from the United States Nations. It's called a mapping report. I would advise anyone to read the mapping reports. You can have a sense of brutality, colonial brutality, uh, organized, you know, uh, by the uh, state, the new colonial state, you know, of Congo itself, Rwanda and, Bur and Burundi also, and Uganda, particularly Uganda and Rwanda in the Congo. You can, you can read all these 
uh, reports, mapping reports, UN mapping reports on the Congo. You will see all these uh, 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 evidence. So violence is every day. Uh, every day I get news uh, workers or prisoners being killed. Uh, two days ago, the Rangers, those who protect the uh, Park where you have, uh, you know, uh, you have gorillas, uh, for example. Uh, you know, six people were killed. The other day, maybe 20 people were killed. That's regular news we get from Congo. Every week you get people being killed with machetes. Women have been uh, not just killed by the genital uh, uh, being uh, mutilated. That's regular. Rape on a large scale villages. These are things imperialism has imposed on the Congo today. It's not yesterday as I'm talking to you. Uh, you know, you've got over something like 5 million people who live, uh, who reside in the camps, you know, concentration camps like uh, the uh, indigenous people in the United States, you know, reservations. That's what they have created reservations in the Congo as I'm talking to you. I might call it displaced camps. How can you explain, you know, 5 million people on their own land living in displaced camps. That's a reservation, you know, and uh, all these are the U.S. Uh, plans, you know, of uh, demographic uh, change. Uh, they want to replace uh, empty most uh, places where they identify key uh, minerals the United States or imperialists uh, want. So they're displacing the people and replacing them with the population uh, that can they can manipulate, that can unite with them, and, and they're using Paul Gagame uh, and Rwanda greatly to that effect, uh, organizing transfer of population from Rwanda to Congo. Uh, you know, these these are a lot of things can be said uh, along that, but that's something the, the United States has been uh, with its allies like Britain and others. They've been doing uh, in the US. So genocide is going on there, uh, and I just want to say this. You know, is like a a, a continuity. People know about Leopold II genocide in the Congo. Over 10 million Africans were killed. And that is what's happening today in the Congo. Killing children, killing women, killing pregnant women. It's documented in the mapping report. You can read all that, uh, all those things, uh, all these horrible uh, things happening there. So socially, uh, it's really bad. But also, the people want to, they want to change. That's obvious. Uh, their participation in the local elections or national elections, uh, you can see people want to participate, people want to change. And uh, we have a greater greater uh, possibility today, not only because of demographic change, but people have 60 years of experience of neocolonialism uh, for a new type of movement to be to be built. And, uh, you know, that's where uh, we are today. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show. Produced by WBPU Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guest today is Louise Kinshasa, Secretary General of the African Socialist International. Two to three years after Lumumba's assassination, revolution erupted in Congo. There was even something called the Simba Rebellion. I think Che fought alongside them. How do you assess that moment of revolutionary struggle? Yeah, we greatly appreciate, you know, international solidarity, really genuine international solidarity. Uh, Cuba revolution has shown throughout the years, you know, it didn't start, you know, with, uh, uh, when we saw the Cubans going to Angola, but it started much early. 
uh, there. And uh, so basically, Fred uh, Hamilton said something like, you, you can kill a revolutionary, you can't kill a revolution. And uh, that was true uh, when you look at the Congo, because three years after Padish Lumumba, it became clear that uh, neocolonialism was in crisis. And uh, there is uh, Pierre Mulele. Uh, he was a minister of education under Padish Lumumba, and he was uh, one of those few who stayed loyal to Padish Lumumba and to the revolution. And he was there when Lumumba, you know, tried to cross the river, or when he crossed the river uh, to meet his wife and where he was later on arrested. So he uh, was uh, the initiator, the one who initiated the new uh, movement. Uh, they call it a new movement, a new uh, a struggle for a new independence. It was clear that neocolonialism, uh, you know, was in, uh, was in full swing, and that uh, the masses didn't get anything. The workers need to get organized. So he went back uh, in uh, to the people, to the peasants. And he wants to reorganize them uh, for a, a, a new struggle uh, for uh, independence. And that's how the revolutionary movement basically uh, uh, took off. All of a sudden, Congo was in flames. Neocolonialism was uh, losing everywhere, town after town, village after village. And uh, the international uh, anti-colonial movement uh, was convinced that something was happening in the Congo. And, and uh, Michael Mays captured that when he was criticizing uh, Chombe and when he was saying uh, that uh, the people in the Congo would never rest, you know, until, uh, you know, Congo is liberated. Uh, so they were impacted by that. There's good news coming uh, that there's another movement and there is a movement, those who were loyal to Lumumba, and it was a movement of uh, poor people. When you see the pictures of the Simbas, there, there's poor people, very poor. Most of them, you know, you know, uh, many could not even, even read. And, they, and most of the leaders were just uh, ordinary uh, people, particularly, uh, I want to say, most of the leaders, those who were mobilizing uh, the people in towns uh, and, uh, and the villages. They were just ordinary African workers, you know. So it was a great movement. And uh, people like, uh, say, when he was in Nigeria, there was an anti-colonial conference in Nigeria. And he met with Mitulili, one was one of the key cadres of the uh, these emerging anti-neocolonial movement. And you go think at that time in Africa, there is no uh, anti-neocolonial movement. All the movement you see in Africa is anti-colonial movement. But a movement where people say, we need to overturn neocolonialism. And uh, you know, people begin to theorize, lesson plans, you know, political lessons are being developed. You know, and all these lessons even today exist, you know, very rich uh, lessons. Uh, coming f- uh, uh, from uh, from that movement, and uh, Che Guevara meeting with uh, Mitudidi in um, uh, uh, Algeria, Algeria made the decision. Then, in fact, he was invited by the Africans there to come to Congo, and uh, you know the way it was organized is just another aspect of it. But by 1965, Che Guevara was real in the Congo. And uh, the problem is where he landed is not the strongest uh, point uh, of the revolution at the time. And uh, where he landed, uh, it was definitely one of the uh, area where the movement was not really organized effectively, efficiently, where the leadership politically uh, was no coherence, uh, things like that. But the message that uh, revolution 
uh, needed uh, reinforcement, needed international solidarity, and it gave it. And Che Guevara said, "Yes, I'm going to take this out. Uh, you know, I'm going to be in solidarity with them." And they went there. And uh, you know, I, I would say the rest uh, is a uh, is a history. And Malcolm X believed in uh, in our success of the revolution too. And uh, but the rest, that I said, uh, is a uh, is really a uh, history. Uh, that movement was a powerful, powerful movement of poor people, but that movement also experienced uh, uh, some serious uh, limitations uh, and uh, limitations Africans uh, need to to do. And I think uh, that's something uh, you know uh, the African People's Socialist Party speaks to those limitations. You know, Patrice Lumumba had a profound influence on the politics of Malcolm X. Even though I know that the brow line glasses that Patrice Lumumba wore were very popular in the early 1960s, I've noticed that Malcolm's physical presence increasingly looked remarkably similar to Lumumba's following Malcolm's departure from the Nation of Islam with the goatee, brown line glasses, and tapered haircut. In reading your essays, I learned that Malcolm, like Che, wanted to organize an African army to go into the Congo and fight against imperialist and neocolonial powers. So, how did Patrice Lumumba in the Congo influence Malcolm? You know, Patrice uh, Lumumba was a leader of anti-colonial movements, and uh, growing understanding that colonialism uh, was the issue. It wasn't that difficult for you know for people like uh, Malcolm X uh, to uh, unite with that because uh, the essence of Africans uh, in the United States is a colonial. Uh, life, and uh, I noticed uh, they refer to the Malcolm X as a black nationalist. That's the way also they refer to Lumumba uh, uh, as uh, a black uh, nationalist, and uh, also uh, the uh, struggle against uh, colonialism, uh, the struggle for revolution, uh, definitely as we do say in the party, was the main trend. And uh, when you look uh, in Africa. Uh, you would see uh, Palisto Mumba as the leader who says uh, exactly what he thinks, who speak frankly, straight, direct, and talk in a language that people understand. Palisto Mumba didn't, you know, beat about the bush. Just like when you hear uh, Michael Max, uh, you know, I don't know, to, you know, uh, even if my, uh, you know, to what extent, you know, uh, they, they, uh, you know, uh, Michael Max was influenced by by the movement, but as you know, they speak almost the same way. You know, great orators, and they speak in a language. That, you know, they don't do the BS. You know, beating about the bush. They don't. You know, the movement didn't. You know, and uh, when he spoke, even today, you listen to his messages. It's like if he's still in the room. You know, because he directly, you know, spoke to you. He says how things are. And uh, they say a lot of similar things, like it doesn't matter what the white man saying, you go rethink about everything. You go rethink about everything. And uh, it's something also Michael Max uh, was talking about. And uh, the unity of the people, of the oppressed, you know, this is something you see in common. Michael Max definitely uh, emerged with uh, his philosophy of anti-colonialism as he talks about the necessity of power, uh, the necessity to have a land uh, as the basis. And, uh, you know, 
uh, things like that, you definitely see, uh, uh, you know, what I would say basically, uh, I think the basis, the starting point, the basis, you know, the struggle to overturn white power, the struggle to define ourselves, and also uh, the struggle to unite black people, I think uh, you can see all this commonality. You can see that because one thing that distinguished the movement from the race star of the uh, Akinbini bourgeoisie, he wanted the unity more than anybody else. He really understood that a united uh, people cannot be defeated. You know, that's why he was the only one in the Congo. And when he met, when he met Krumah, Krumah talked to him about the vision of, uh, you know, one Africa, one nation, you know, Kuma himself was inspired by Garvey, as you know. Lumumba wanted that to be put in practice. That's why he signed that document, Kuma, to unite Ghana and Congo. Don't wait, just do it. And uh, that sense of urgency, you know, when you hear Malcolm X uh, talking, what we want now, we want to have freedom now, we want to change now. If this is going to make the change, let's do it. Let's make it happen. I can really pinpoint, pinpoint exactly uh, what points uh, you can say. Malcolm X, you know, learned or took from uh, Lumumba. But I know uh, for sure the starting point uh, for them, you know, blank unity, unity of black people, change for ordinary people, you know, for the African working class and poor peasants and things like that. You didn't see them making general speeches, you know, general, you know, stuff. They were specific. And uh, in the center, colonialism has to go. And in the center, the African working class, the ordinary Africans, the grassroots, as Malcolm X refers to, you know, uh, that loyalty to the, to the people, to the African working class. Uh, you can see that in Malcolm X, as you can see that in Patricia Mumba. And then the unity of, of you know, as I said, of the of black people, the black world, you know, as uh, you see from, uh, from Malcolm X. That's why, basically, uh, you know, you can't separate the assassination of Malcolm X as a assassination of Patricia Mumba. Because uh, Lumumba being in power, being already in the unity of Kuma, I think the unity with uh, Malcolm X was just a question of, uh, of time. I have no doubt about it. And I'm sure our oppressors you know, were aware of it. You know, what, what an anti-colonial government on Lumumba meant for the growing national black liberation movement around the world, and particularly in, in the United States. I'm sure they've been discussing all those things, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it was, I think, just a couple months before his assassination that Malcolm made the call for what he says, a Mau Mau in the United States. He said, we need a Mau Mau in Mississippi and in Alabama. We need a Mau Mau in Harlem. And just weeks before his assassination, uh, he was making very profound statements uh, about the situation in the Congo, as you know, criticism of Shombe and uh, all the other uh, neo-colonial leaders uh, in in Africa. So, so yeah, that's exactly correct. Thanks for that. What is the future of the African Revolution in the Congo? The future of Congo depends on the future of Africa, and the future of Africa depends. On our African revolution, and which depends itself on our, our ability uh, to build a single organization to organize the African working class in alliance for poor peasants uh, to make the revolution. So there is no exception uh, there. That's a universal uh, question, universal truth. In fact, these are the African questions. 
The African question is how you build a revolution where you are. The African question is how you build, how you unite uh, all African under one revolutionary uh, uh, process and party. Uh, so that's really is fundamental. Malcolm X, when he was criticizing uh, Chombe, these are some of the questions uh, left unresolved. You know, when I say criticizing Chombe, basically uh, criticizing opportunism. African people would raise a class which is in power everywhere in Africa, is an opportunist class. It is a class that is no political, it's a social class, which is no loyal to Africa and to African people. And I, I hate the revolution, that's for sure, because uh, colonialism is the basis for, unity of colonialism is the basis for their success. So the masses of African working class in Congo need to have access to their own political organization, to their own political philosophy. That's something we do have now in terms of the African people's socialist party. It's just a question now how you get that uh, to the people, how you get that in villages, how you get that to the big cities, to small towns, how do you do that? You know, how you introduce it to the people. We are already doing that process, but how you do it effectively, uh, you know, that's uh, another question. But that that the that party exists, that we have the uh, uh, capacity now more than before to spread African internationalism in the Congo. We do have that capacity. That's what we do stuff uh, in French and in Ghana, but we have we're going to do more this year to make that really a reality. So just to conclude, to say, uh, develop uh, what Lumumba and Malcolm X uh, left to us is basically to put the party on the ground. You know, that's uh, in a short, simplest way to say it. On that note, you all are organizing the Black Power Summit in Europe. As part of the struggle to rebuild the African Revolution everywhere, can you tell us about that? Uh, this is going to be an uh, important conference. It's part of mobilization of the African, of African people's socialist party to get the African working class to political life, but also to introduce them to African plan, to the vision of the future we have for Africans everywhere in the world, but particularly in Europe, uh, so we can build a European uh, region of the African revolution or the, uh, the Europe front of the African revolution. And we'll be talking uh, of uh, key uh, problems we are confronted with, not just neo-colonialism, but lack of economic developments, uh, because talking about the uh, gentrification uh, of the black community, we've uh, stop and search one aspect of the police uh, containment of the black community here, things like that. But we'll be talking mostly of solutions. We'll be discussing these problems by providing solutions, what you can do to solve the problems. And if you unite those solutions, you should join us. You should join our party, but you should also join the conference itself. We are the only response this international crisis of passive capitalism, uh, you will see no other organization giving you a clear picture of how the future should be built and how we can recapture our own future by having our own power. You know, we're not going to borrow anybody's power, you know, because anybody's power is not your power. Build our own power, you know, and nobody, you, you know, right in their mind, they can lend you their power. What about themselves? So we want to have our own power, but our power will come at the expense of the white power oppressors. You know, we just have to be clear on that. Our power comes at the expense of existing white power. And uh, so we're calling everybody uh, to join us so we can uh, recapture our future, which should be in our own black hands in the first place. And for more information on the Black Power Summit, you can register for free at Black Power Summit 2021.eventbrite.com. 
uh, thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to be uh, to be on the Black Power FM, our own radio, the Black Power Radio, the African Working Class Radio, where nobody can censor us. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guest today was Louise Kinshasa, Secretary General of the African Socialist International. WBPU is a project of the African People's Education and Defense Fund, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to defend the human and civil rights of the African community and address the grave disparities faced by African people in education, healthcare, and economic development. For more information on the African People's Education and Defense Fund, visit apedf.org. Episodes of the People's War Radio Show are available on the Black Power Talks podcast on wubp.podbean.com. For updates and resources to fight the coronavirus or to volunteer with Project Black Onc, visit developmentforafrica.org. We'd like to thank our guest, Secretary General Louise Kinshasa, for joining us today. We'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. We can't take no more of this colonial virus. We stay down with the colonial virus. 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 Yeah.